growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In an all-inclusive culture, when you begin to say that there is one way and only one way, that goes over, that flies about as well as a lead balloon. But I'll say it again, God the Father only made that statement about one person, and that was God the Son. Jesus is the Savior. What makes a hero? It's usually some action that saves the life of another. Soldiers, police officers, firefighters, and even plain, ordinary citizens who find themselves in a situation that calls for action are a few of the people we think of as heroes, and they truly are. But when it comes to talking about heroes, Jesus is in a class all by himself. More than one gospel writer records this account so that you and I would be able to see that he is the one, that he is the Son of God, I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week we kicked off a brand new series entitled Jesus, the Real Action Hero. It's a series based on the book of Mark in the New Testament. We're going to be working our way through all 16 chapters of the book of Mark. And as we do, Pastor Clay is going to show us the actions of the one who came to save the whole world. He became one of us so that he could die for us. Today, we're continuing our study of chapter 1, as Pastor Clay points out five declarations found in Mark's opening chapter, and what those declarations mean for us. Thanks for joining us. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's message. Last week, we we began to to get into it, and... uh, as I said, uh, in, Acts, uh, or in Mark chapter 1, it's working through this book uh, that, that Mark, John Mark, uh, recorded. We looked at that, the background and who he is and all, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. We dealt in a lot of that. Last week, if you weren't here and you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, you can go to iTunes and look up uh, Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church and find it there. You can go to our website. Uh, we have our messages, our videotaped. Watch it there, but we go back. Uh, last week was more of the background of the book and all that kind of stuff as we were starting into it. But what I uh, pointed out last week uh, was that there are what I, what I would call five declarations in Mark chapter 1. And, and last week we just looked at the first declaration. And, uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to just highlight that one again just a little bit so that we can some, keep some continuity here. Uh, and then we're going to go into a couple more uh, today. I'd hope that maybe we would get all the declarations in, but uh, mm, that ain't happening. Uh, so, some of y'all are regularly attend here, are not surprised by that, I know. But you're not in any hurry, right? Right? I mean, this is what you're going to do till Jesus comes, right? You're going to come, you're going to worship Him, you're going to celebrate Him, you're going to get out and tell others about Him and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Mark chapter 1, we started out uh, with John's declaration. And John's declaration uh, was simply this, repent. And I want to read it again. Uh, Mark chapter 1, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, digital uh, old school, hard copy, whatever the case may be, open to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read again verses 1 through 8. The text will be up on the screen as well. Thank you so much for being here uh, today. Uh, you're honoring God by your presence, and I believe God will speak into your heart and your life from the truth of His Word uh, today. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem... 
And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's declaration, there was a lot in there, and we talked a lot about it last week, but the, but the crux of the declaration to the people was simply this, repent. And, and we talked a lot about what repentance means and, and uh, what it doesn't mean. We talked a lot about uh, John's baptism, uh, the, the, the symbolism that it was, that it was calling people uh, to a recognition that they were sinners, that they were in need of the Savior. And we talked about that background, and there was a misunderstanding in Israel to a large degree about who the Messiah was or what the Messiah would accomplish. And, uh, and so John was preparing the people's hearts. Remember, that's what, what the prophecy had said. It's what Isaiah, uh, 700 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah prophesied about it. Gabriel came to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, before he was even born, and told him what's going he's going to go before for uh, the one who was to come, preparing the people's hearts. And that's what he did. And his message was simply this, repent. We'll go into all of it uh, again this week, won't rehash all of it, but I I just remind you of this, or if you weren't here, just to to show you this, that when when we talk about repentance, in the end, what it comes down to, uh, we have to act. And I had a little uh, acrostic for you last week. We have to act Uh, When it comes to repentance, we have to first be aware of it. Uh, There has to be this recognition in my own life that that I am a sinner and that sinner separates me from God. And that when I violate God's law and God's holiness, that that puts me at odds uh, with God. I have to be aware. And that is so hard. Man, in the world in which we live, it is so hard. Uh, And I know I've talked this plenty of times before. But uh, I can remember, listen, I can remember 30 years ago. I'm telling my age now, but I can remember 30 years ago, my pastor in Florida uh, making this statement. He, he, he used to say, it's becoming harder and harder to sin in America. And, and what he was saying was, is that, is that no, nobody's to blame for anything. That there's, you know, it was your, it's your upbringing or it's the way you were born or it's uh, influences that happen in your life or it's, you know, whatever those, those things are. Uh, you have to come to this place where you are aware of your own guilt before holy God. And then second, we have to confess it. Obviously, we don't confess things because God is unaware of our sin. Obviously, God is aware of our violation of his laws and, and where we, where we have, have gone astray and chosen our own way and, and all that stuff. God's, confession is not about informing God about anything. Confession is about our recognition to God that we have offended him. As David said after his, after his sin, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this thing. In your sight, it's confessing to the living God that I, acknowledging God, I have I have sinned against you. And then the third component, we have to turn away from. It. Remember, we've talked about that. Uh, y'all have heard me if you've been here. Repentance is not just being sorry I got caught. Repentance is not just even being sorry that I did something. Repentance is being sorry enough to turn around and go in a new direction. That's literally what that word means, metanoia, to to turn and to go in a new direction. So uh, when we talk about repentance, we have to be aware of it, we have to confess it, and we have to turn away from it. That has to be a change in our life. That was John's message, preparing the people's hearts for the one who was to come. That was John's declaration. Second declaration, the, the first new one this morning, is the Father's declaration. The Father's declaration is this, recognize. And pick it up in verse 9. 
Y'all okay? Didn't hit you too hard with that repentance stuff, right? All right? Okay, y'all seem like y'all a little shell-shocked or something. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild beasts and angels were ministering to him. Even though uh, the, the crux of, of this part of the message is focusing on the Father's declaration, I feel like I need to say something about the baptism itself. Because uh, it was, at least in our reading, it was the, it was the baptism that prompted the, the Father to, to respond and to, to make this uh, statement. As I said uh, last week and just reminded you of just now... Uh, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, calling people to recognize their sin, their need to turn away from that sin. So the question then naturally is raised, why would Jesus be baptized? Why would Jesus be baptized by John the Baptist? Certainly, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for repentance of sin. He was the Son of God and he was sinless. So why would Jesus be baptized? I've already said this to you last week, but uh, Mark, in his gospel recording, Mark focuses more on the actions of Jesus than necessarily the, the sayings or teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's more about, you know, this, this, what's going on and less about sometimes about the, the, the background or the, or the teaching or that sort of thing. That's not a bad thing, uh, by the way. Uh, God uh, led Mark to record his gospel the way he did in the same way that he led the other gospel writers to write their gospel letters. And when you put those together, it's when you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and put them in their totality that you get a fuller picture of, of Jesus, uh, the God-man. But Mark doesn't necessarily bring this out, but we know from the other gospel writers that, that even John the Baptist is kind of confused about this. He doesn't understand why in the world is Jesus coming to me to be, but my baptism is baptism of repentance. Why is Jesus coming to me? Look at it in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Watch this. But John tried to prevent him. The construction, the original language, the construction of the sentence implies that, that John kept trying to not do it's like it's like John saying no uh, no no mm, mm, no I am not no not going to do this it's it's that kind of that idea uh, John tried to prevent him saying he says this to Jesus I have need to be baptized by you see G John got it he understood who this was this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world I, I have need to be baptized by you and do you come to me but Jesus answering said to him permit it. At this time, for in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he permitted him. So even John was a little confused about this, about why Jesus would want to be baptized. And there lots of things have been, uh, have been tossed out there, quite honestly. But I think that at least for one thing, we, it, it's pretty safe to say uh, that we, we say that Jesus was baptized because it was a way for him to identify with sinners. That he was identifying with those to whom he had come to redeem. Uh, we 
at the opening of Mark, quotes from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, in one of those passages that are called a messianic passage. Remember, uh, messianic simply means Messiah. That's a passage, it's a prophecy, it's a foretelling about the one who would come. In Isaiah 53, it says this. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels, uh, that's you and me, by the way. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. He became one of us, walked among us, so that he could die for us. Do you understand? He identified with us. I, I think that's at least partially part of the reason that Jesus would have been baptized, to identify with those that he came to redeem. Another reason uh, that we might uh, could say uh, that he came uh, or to, was baptized was as an example of obedience. Now, Jesus was God. He was God in the flesh. But we need to remember that he was also a man. And that Jesus demonstrated the extremely important concept of humbling ourselves under the authority of God Almighty. And it was a demonstration of, of, his, of, his, of his submission, of, of obedience to the will of the Father. And then we could, we could also maybe speculate a little bit, but say that it's quite possible that Jesus was baptized uh, as a symbol of his death and resurrection. Now remember, John's baptism was for what? Say it. It was for repentance. John's baptism was for repentance. But the symbolism of baptism changed after the cross and the empty tomb, didn't it? It changed after the cross and the empty tomb. And, and baptism came to symbolize Jesus' death when a person is laid down into the water. And it symbolizes his resurrection when that person comes back up out of the water. And so it's quite possible Jesus is, is foretelling, if you will, the whole reason for his coming was his death and his resurrection. Listen, this is early in his ministry, right? This is the very early days of his ministry, but make no mistake about it. He knew exactly why he was there. He knew exactly what he came to do, and he was going to accomplish his purposes. Is it any wonder, with all that said, is it any wonder that as soon as Jesus comes up out of the water, he hears this, this magnificent declaration from the Father. You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. It was a declaration that, that, that he was. Of, of, all the, of all the promises through all the years that he was the promised one. Now, listen, it's unclear. I, I think it's kind of unclear from the gospel writers whether other people saw and heard uh, this manifestation from heaven or not. It's, it's unclear whether it was just Jesus and John that saw this or the other. But what I do know is that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, more than one gospel writer records this account so that you and I would be able to see that he is the one, that this declaration was made, that he is the Son of God, that he is the promised one. I uh, was talking with one of my neighbors not long ago, and... Uh, he said, you know, I, 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 I get the whole God thing. So I don't have a problem. I believe in God. That's, that's not an issue uh, for me. He said, it's just the whole Jesus thing that I don't get. He said, I, I, just, don't, I just don't understand what, what makes Jesus any different from any other religious uh, leader. Can I tell you this? And you probably already know this, but that, that is an enormously popular uh, perspective 
in the, in the world in which we live today. Uh, you know, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna, uh, I don't know, some, some other guy. <laughs> it's, I, you understand? Oh, yeah, they're all good guys. They all talk good teachings. They all good things. Yes, my, my, my neighbor, that's his problem right now. He's unwilling to recognize that this is the beloved son. This is the son of God in flesh that's come to redeem the world. There's been lots of people that said lots of different things. You know, it, quite honestly, in some sense, um, messiahs were a dime a dozen in, in, back in those days. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but what I mean is this. It had been 400 years since the last Old Testament prophet had spoken. It had been 400 years. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews have heard, Messiah's coming, the promised one is coming, he's going to set everything right, everything's going to be good. And listen, they had lived under oppression, they had been conquered and reconquered and overconquered and, and all this kind of stuff, and they were tired of being conquered. They were tired of living under the oppression of, of dictators and that sort of thing. And they were ready for the Messiah to come. And so... Uh, about that time, every time somebody came along that maybe had a little charisma to them or, or gathered up a little following, then, then the, the, the gossip line began to, began to buzz. Man, could this be the Messiah? Maybe this is the Messiah. But they were all wrong, ladies and gentlemen. They were all wrong. Do you understand? God the Father only made that declaration about one person. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in His perfect timing... It occurred. You know that, but look at the passage in uh, Galatians chapter 4. So also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But here it is. But when the fullness of the time came, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Amen. That's a good place to say it. I'm telling you right there. That we might receive the adoption as sons. That's what he covered. Now, let me say a couple of things about this. Uh, when we begin to talk about uh, the Son of God, uh, who Jesus was, the Son of God, and, and what that means for us. Okay, let me, let me point out a couple things. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've debated about this. Because you can't really separate these two that I'm fixing to separate. You can't really separate them. It's like two sides of the same coin. Okay? But I'm going to separate them for clarification purposes. But I, anyway, <laughs> that's clear as mud. Let's start with this one. Jesus is the Savior. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And part of that included the fact that Jesus is the Savior. He was the one who had come to redeem mankind. And that's exactly what he was going to accomplish. Let me just point out a couple of passages of scripture to you that point to that fact. In Luke chapter 2, I know we just came through the Christmas season, but for today in the city of David, there has been born for you, say it, a Savior, a Savior who is Christ uh, the Lord. Look at this one, John chapter 4, the encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well, and and Jesus talks to her, and she comes to understand who he is, and she goes back into town and says, listen, the Messiah is here, I'm telling you, he is here. And they come out, and they meet Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 42, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed, say it, the Savior of the world. Second uh, Timothy chapter one verse ten, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our say it Savior 
Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news of Christ. Uh, one more, First John chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the, come on, Savior of the world. He is the Savior. Listen, he's not, he's not one of many. He is the only. He is the exclusive. There aren't many paths, many roads, many journeys. There is one way. Now listen, I, I fully understand every time I make that statement that that is not well received in an I'm okay, you're okay culture. In an all-inclusive culture, when you begin to say that there is one way and only one way, that goes over, that flies about as well as a lead balloon, doesn't it? You ever say it? Have you brought that up to somebody? Maybe you work with a neighbor. Well, you know there's only one way. What? But I'll say it again. God the Father only made that statement about one person, and that was God the Son. Jesus is the Savior. Look at look what Peter, uh, Peter brings us home. Acts chapter 4, he says this. He says, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders. He's talking to religious leaders. He, he's, he's preaching at, at them after they have him arrested. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation. There it is, Savior. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be, say it, saved. That's it. He's the Savior. And Jesus is the Lord. Like I said, I know I, this, is, this is where I, I hate to separate those two. It, like I said earlier, it's two sides of the same coin. But I'm telling you, if, if Jesus is your Savior, Jesus has to be your Lord. That's just, that's just the way it works. It's just, they go hand in glove. They're the same thing. Uh, it, it's just, we're, we're talking about the same idea. That, that, with, that with salvation comes this, understand, this, this understanding that He is my Lord. I think the way I, I put a little ditty was like this. Uh, salvation and surrender are synonymous. You can't, you cannot separate those two. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but you can't. Now listen, I, I know uh, every time I begin to talk about this aspect of how salvation and lordship uh, go hand in hand or, and, are, and are really inseparable, and, I, and, I, and I, I do, I talk about it, I bring it up when the text deals with it, wherever we happen to be, and the text deals with it, and the text deals with it a lot. That, that making Jesus your Lord is not an option you can add on. You can just decide to add on like when you buy a car and you want to add options. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And I, and I know people go, don't lie. Some people get mad. I had a guy uh, came up to me one time uh, mad. I mean just mad. And he said, we're leaving this church because you're teaching a lordship salvation. You're teaching a work salvation. Let me make something clear. <laughs> I'm teaching a salvation that works. Here's, here's what it looks like. I'm going to fill in some blanks. Not salvation, watch now, not salvation produced from works, but works produced from salvation. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the very important theological difference between those? No, I can't earn it. I can't, I can't work for the grace of God. Absolutely not. But I can surrender my life as a result of the grace of God in my life. And I can seek His will from now on instead of my own. Not not salvation produced from works, but works produced from salvation. It just has to change my life. Look at this uh, passage, Matthew chapter 7. 
uh, Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. And I, I, I'm, sometimes I'm convinced that people think that, like, Lord is just Jesus' first name. Lord Jesus Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who, what does it say? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Luke chapter 6 uh, says this. Again, Jesus speaking. Why? Why do you do it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is this is silly. <laughs> this is kind of ridiculous. And again, Peter in Acts chapter two. Uh, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Savior. He is all of those things. This Jesus, whom you crucified, whom you put to death, it is. In, in its totality, understanding who he is. The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is going to be the savior. He is the one that I promised through all the years that was going to come. And he is the Lord. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at a, another declaration today. Let's look at Jesus' declaration. Respond. Repent, recognize, and now respond. Verse 14 now, after John had been taken into custody, uh, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Simon, remember, is, is Peter. Jesus changed his name uh, to Peter, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, there's that word that Mark is so fond of, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Jesus' declaration, respond. I have no idea what Zebedee (laughs) thought. See you later, Dad! I have no idea what Zebedee thought. But you know what? It's that whole idea sometimes of counting the cost of what it means. To be a, a follower, a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Uh, remember, John's message had been uh, repent. It was preparing people's hearts for recognition, for the need. You are a sinner. You think you're Israel and you're okay. And it, no, you, you, you're still a sinner. You're still separated from God. You need the Savior. It's preparing the people's hearts. Jesus then uh, takes that message and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Remember that, that word gospel? So a lot of you already know this. Remember that word gospel simply means good news. And so Jesus was saying to them, yes, repent, recognize your sin, turn from your sin, you must repent, and you must believe the good news about me. Um, In this this text, um, both repent and believe, both of those verbs, repent and believe, are imperative present active verbs, which simply means that Jesus is not making this a suggestion. 
He, he's, not, he's, not, he's not beating around the bush. He's certainly not taking what you might call a, a soft approach to evangelism or to surrender. He's calling them to repent, to believe, and to respond, to follow. To repent, to believe, and to follow. That is it. Repent, believe, and follow. Notice the connection this, this, with this whole idea of Jesus as Savior and Lord, that, that, it, that it's that's the response. That's the response that, that must be uh, part of our life. That must be what, it, what happens. Now, uh, like I said, uh, Mark's account uh, tends to hit highlights and, and things like that. Um, but we, we know that this was not the first time that Jesus came into contact with, with uh, Simon and Andrew and, and James and, and John. John chapter 1 tells us that those men had already come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah in, a, in an earlier encounter. They had already come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Mark is recording the fact that he comes to them and says, okay, you believe I'm Messiah, but do you, do you really believe I'm Messiah? Come follow me. Come make this your life. And the text says immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's, that's Jesus' declaration. You have to respond to my call upon your life. I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, last week I talked about an old buddy of mine, Al Stone. Uh, interestingly, a hospital story, because I've, uh, I've got a similar story today about another old buddy of mine. And uh, I've talked about, uh, talked about him before, but it's been a couple of years. And uh, so uh, I had this old buddy named Mark Morell uh, in Tennessee. And Mark was, man, he was, he was country. Right, he was so country. It was, yeah, it was. He was. He wasn't country. He was country. Mark worked for the railroad. He was rough. He was tough. Uh, and and the Lord gave us the privilege of of seeing Mark give his life to Jesus Christ and see him come into a relationship with Christ and see that that uh, uh, that that transformation begin to take place uh, in his life. And Mark was. I mean, he was growing. He, he, he was coming to church and he was learning. And, you know, and he, just, he, would, he was just honest. And he would just ask questions about stuff he didn't understand. And, you know, which is how it ought to be. It ought to be honest, right? The relationship is just honest. And Mark, <laughs> one time, I, I still don't know how he did this. I still don't know how he did this. But somehow, uh, Mark, was, he was cleaning uh, a rifle of his. Uh, he was cleaning a black powder rifle. And... Mark shot his finger plumb off, just shot it off. <laughs> he put his finger over the barrel. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he just shot his finger off. <laughs> Drove himself to the emergency room. And uh, in the emergency room, you know, Mark's like, and he, Mark had a, prior to coming to Jesus, Mark had a rather colorful vocabulary. Let me put, put it that way. And after he came to Jesus, you know, he, he, he understood, God, my life's supposed to be different. I've got to change. I've got to clean up my uh, vocabulary. Shouldn't be saying some of them words I've been saying and uh, that kind of stuff. I need to change. And, uh, and so he's in the hospital, and uh, they've got him leaning over a, a sink, you know, because the blood's dripping into the sink. I hope, sorry, I'm not, not too gory or anything. But um, uh, they've got him just, just leaning over the sink there, and he's just... You know, Mark, you know, I can only imagine what it felt like. He said, Mark says, you, just, you can't imagine what it felt like. But he is just, you know, biting his tongue or whatever he's doing to not, not say anything because he's hurting so bad. And, uh, and so the doctor says, he says, wow, you seem pretty calm uh, for a guy who just shot his finger off. 
uh, doesn't it hurt? <laughs> and Mark, Mark just lost it. He just said, yeah, it hurt. It hurts like bleep, bleep, bleep. He just, he just, he just went off. He came back later. He felt so bad because that happened. But, but it's just that idea that Mark understood that, that there's that something uh, that happens when I come into a relationship with Christ. That when I, when I recognize my sin and I believe that he's the one who redeems me from my sin, that he's my savior. That then when I follow him, my life changes as a result of that. It ought to look different. It ought to be different in some way. I ask you the truth of that in, in your own life, this idea that, that different, to repent of your sins and to, to believe in him. Not a belief that, you know, doesn't, doesn't change me in any way, but a belief that, that compels me to follow him, to make him the Lord of my life. That's what we're talking about here. I was, uh, I, I remember sitting under a tree one day, um, big tree, huge tree, uh, in Kenya, Africa. A man had invited me to sit under this tree that was in his front yard. He uh, was uh, very wealthy uh, by uh, Kenyan standards. He actually had a house that was made out of block and had a tin roof uh, instead of the customary cow manure and mud huts with, with thatched roofs. He, he, he was very well off. He worked for the government uh, in Kenya, and spoke uh, pretty good English. He had, he had, a, he had, a, uh, he had several wives. I don't know how many wives. He, I, I mean, I do, I should remember, because he introduced me to all of his wives. Um, but then I asked him how many children he had, and he, did, he really, he truly didn't know. He said, I, he says, he thinks, he's like, several. I have several. <laughs> but he invited me to sit under this tree. I, I, I want to say it was a banyan tree for some reason, but I, but I don't know. I'm not that big a horticulturalist. <laughs> but we're sitting under the tree, and it was hot, you know, so the, the tree provided shade, and he just wanted me to talk to him. And, and, uh, and, and so I sat down and began to share this message of Jesus with him, and, and you know, it was, a, it was a long conversation. He was one of the few persons in Kenya that I was able to talk to directly because my interpreter was always with me, but, but this guy spoke and understood English, and, and we walked through the gospel and the good news of Jesus and what it, who he was and what he came to do and what that means for my life and, and all those kind of things. And when I finished, I, I asked the man uh, about a relationship with Jesus, and he, and he gets silent, and he, he's thinking. You can tell he's kind of thinking, and then he says this to me. He says, Clay, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. And, you know, I'm like, whoa, I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> And so I, I took him to the story uh, in, in, the, uh, in the book of Acts, in uh, Acts chapter 26, the story of King Agrippa uh, saying almost the same thing to the Apostle Paul. And all he would say to me, all, all, the, all the gentlemen would say to me uh, by the time we were finished was, perhaps I will hear you again on this. Of course, he never did. I, I, I don't know whether that man ever came to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. I don't know if he ever came to repent of his sin, to believe in Christ, and then to, to actually follow Christ. I don't, I don't know whether he actually ever did that or not. I would like to hope, certainly, that, that he did, but I don't know. What I do know is this. Almost isn't good enough. Almost won't get it done. Jesus' declaration, respond to me. Respond to me. Listen, ask yourself as we close to think about that, that very idea. And in a moment, John's going to come up and we're going 
We're going to have a time of just response. And I'm going to ask John just to play for a few moments even before we begin to sing. And I want you to take that time to just kind of think through this idea. Have I come to a recognition? Am I aware of my sins? Have I come to that place where I've repented of that sin and come to believe that Jesus Christ truly is who the Father said that He was, that He is God in flesh who came to redeem mankind, on mission to redeem mankind? And am I following Him? Am I following Him at school? Am I following Him in the workplace? Am I following Him in my marriage? Am I following Him in my home? Am I following Him uh, in my recreational activities? Am I seeking to follow His will and His direction for my life? Remember, He is Savior and He is Lord. They're two sides of the same coin. I couldn't tell you how many conversations I have had with people through the years who had zero interest zero interest in following the will of God as revealed in the word of God for their life but who assured me that they were going to heaven because they believed in Jesus repent believe follow Well, that's certainly plenty to take in today, but already in chapter 1 of the book of Mark, we can see that Jesus truly is the real action hero. John the Baptist prepared the people's hearts for the coming of Christ, and when Jesus showed up, it didn't take long for word to spread about this man of action. Jesus was casting out demons and healing the sick, and people were coming to him by the thousands. But as we'll continue to see as we move forward in this series, Jesus' greatest hero action was still to come. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, We experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.